Good morning. I will have you stand shortly, but you don't have to stand yet. When I pick up a scripture such as today, and it says in the first couple of words, soon afterward, you know me, uh, there's a detour right there. <laughs> and so I, uh, this is a, a cross-reference kind of Bible, and I look in the uh, center column, and I say, okay, where has he been? Where are we coming from? And uh, I bounced a couple times and found myself in Matthew, neighboring book. So I want to uh, give a bit of background because a lot was going on in Luke already, but it goes back to the beginnings in Matthew, near the time when they said, and Jesus had begun just to preach. Matthew four twenty-three. Will you stand now, please? We'll finish this detour shortly and get back to the scripture. But here's the background. Without the internet, without social media, without the telephone, without probably printed newspapers as we know printed newspapers, Jesus went throughout Galilee teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness among the people. I'm continuing chapter 4, 24. News about him spread all over Syria, and people brought to him all who were ill with various diseases, those suffering severe pain, the demon-possessed, those having seizures, and the paralyzed, and he healed them. Large crowds from Galilee, the Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, and the region across the Jordan followed him. All this before technology. Back to where the detour began. This is verse 11. And the topic is Jesus raises a widow's son. In the context here, we've seen Jesus talking about love for enemies, judging others, a tree, recognizing a tree because of its fruit. The wise and the foolish builders remember the sand and the rock. And faith of the centurion, right before we get to our um, scripture for today, where Jesus was um, at a distant location as far as the centurion was concerned, but this centurion had a, an important servant who was sick nearly yet to death. And he heard of Jesus and sent some elders of the Jews thinking, I'm not one of these folks, but if I send some representatives who are some of these folks, I've probably got a better audience. Um, and Jesus healed remotely. Now, Jesus raises a widow's son. I think this is a, a funeral procession in progress, and Jesus interrupts it. Soon afterward, Jesus went to a town called Nain, and his disciples and a large crowd went along with him. Now you know why there's probably a large crowd there already. As he approached the town gate, a dead person was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow. 
And a large crowd from the town was with her. When the Lord saw her, his heart went out to her, and he said, Don't cry. Then he went up and touched the coffin, and those carrying it stood still. He said, Young man, I say to you, get up. The dead man sat up and began to talk, and Jesus gave him back to his mother. They were all filled with awe and praised God. A great prophet has appeared among us, they said. God has come to help his people. This news about Jesus spread like the other news throughout Judea and the surrounding country. The word of the Lord, and thank you for listening. You may be seated. You know, I was, um, it's interesting to me how faithful God is to speak to us where we're at. And, and um, I trust that what I share with you this morning will speak to what some of you are experiencing right now. You see that the title of my sermon is Tragedy. You know, all of us have experienced uh, some tragic situations in our lives. Some may be more serious than others. And, and sometimes we know of others who have experienced those kinds of things. And we've watched people, as they've experienced tragedy in their lives, come to the point where they appear to be hopeless. Too often we shake our heads and we react with pity when we encounter someone else that's found themselves in a situation like that. And when it's us, we ourselves may be tempted to despair, which by definition means we have lost all hope. That's what despair is. And to be hopeless, if you've ever been there, is like a crushing weight that feels like it's squeezing the life out of us. It's where every day appears to bring no change in our circumstances. Life appears to be hopeless. One person said, losing your life is not the worst thing that can happen. The worst thing is to lose your reason for living. No hope. As we read this story today, you see Jesus coming into the city where a widow is and her son are leaving the city. But the widow's living, the son is not. And do you think it was a coincidence that Jesus happened to be entering as this funeral procession was leaving? No, I do not. In fact, in John chapter 5, verses 19 through 21, it says, Jesus gave them this answer. Very, very truly, I tell you, the Son can do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees his Father doing. Because whatever the Father does, the Son also does. I think the Father was already at work in Nain. For the Father loves the Son and shows Him all He does. Yes, and He will show Him even greater works than these so that you will be amazed. For just as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, even so the Son gives life to whom He is pleased to give it. Jesus was there on purpose. It was no accident. Someone needed hope. 
Someone needed life. And Jesus could give both. And it says in the scripture that uh, Gail shared with us this morning that that the, the funeral procession coming out of town, there was a large group there, and Jesus entering town, there was a large group with him as well. And so I want to take a moment this morning to look first at the funeral procession. And in that procession is a widow, and she has lost her only son. It was a desperate condition for her to be in. As a widow, she had no husband to support her. We're not told how long she had been a widow, we're only told that she was a widow. And the plight of widows was a very difficult one at that time in history and that land at that time. When her husband died, all she had left was her son. He was her future provider. There was no social security. There were no social services. He was her future caretaker. There were no nursing homes. There were no care facilities. He was her life. And now she had lost him as well. And the life of a widow was a difficult one. It it could be a struggle just to have enough to eat. In fact, we find in the Scripture in the book of Deuteronomy how widows were to be provided for. This was their, I guess you could say, social system of provision. And it reads this way, When you are harvesting in your field and you overlook a sheaf, do not go back to get it. Leave it for the foreigner, the fatherless, and the widow, so that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hands. When you beat the olives from your trees, do not go over the branches a second time. Leave what remains for the foreigner, the fatherless, and the widow. When you harvest the grapes in your vineyard, do not give go over the vines again. Leave what remains for the foreigner, the fatherless, and the widow. That was the provision for them. From the book of Ruth, we get the idea of what widows in Israel did just to survive. The book of Ruth tells us the story of Naomi who had lost her husband and her sons. And so she moves back to Israel from Moab, back to her hometown of Bethlehem, accompanied by her daughter-in-law Ruth, who went into the fields every day to glean grain so that they would have something to eat. And if Ruth had not been with Naomi, then it would have been Naomi in the fields doing that very same work. It was hard work, and you can imagine how that would have uh, taken its toll on an aged widow, how hard it would have been for her. And so the woman in this account has lost her son. And because her husband had died, the responsibility for her care and provision would have fallen to her son, and now he too has died. And she has no one. Can you imagine the pain? The confusion she must have been feeling at this point? Now she has for all intents now she is for all intents and purposes alone. She must deal with the grief, of course, for what mother wouldn't deal with the grief if she'd lost a child. But now she's also facing a very uncertain future. How will she pay the bills? Where will she live? Could she be gassed out on the street? 
And that last thing, being cast out on the street, was a legitimate concern for her. Listen to what Jesus said in Mark chapter 12, verses 38 through 40. As he taught, Jesus said, Watch out for the teachers of the law. They like to walk around in flowing robes and be greeted in the marketplaces and to have the most important seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at banquets. They devour widows' houses and show and for a show make lengthy prayers. Such men, such men will be punished most severely. And so here she has all these questions. You know, where will I have income to, to, to meet my needs? Where will I live? Will I be cast out in the street? And so, from all appearances, this widow's life may have been filled with fear and despair. The prospect for her future was one of pain and loneliness and uncertainty. And it's easy to see how uh, an atmosphere of, of hopelessness prevailed in that group of mourners that were leaving the city that day as Jesus entered it. But Jesus did come. Now, see, the city of Nain is about 25 miles from Capernaum, a good day's journey from where Jesus tended to center his ministry. And Jesus probably arrived at the city gate of Nain late in the afternoon on the same day the boy died. The Jews buried their dead the same day. So the two crowds met. The ones following Jesus and this large funeral procession leaving the city and headed for the cemetery. Someone has described this as a procession of death meeting a procession of life. Life meeting death. Despair meeting hope. And if you read the previous verses as as Gail made references to this morning, we find that Jesus and his company were rejoicing because of the healing of the centurion's service servant remotely, long distance. Jesus was amazed at this man's faith. Yet as they entered the city, they made this funeral procession for a young man, followed by a mother with a broken heart. In, in our day, if we see a funeral procession, especially if we're driving, we pull to the side of the road and allow the procession to pass by. And most of the time, we go on our way without giving it another thought. It was customary in Jesus' time that if you encountered a funeral procession, you joined in in respect for the bereaved. So... As Jesus and his followers meet this procession of death and despair, he and his followers join the funeral procession. And here Jesus' presence changed the whole situation. It sounded pretty gloomy up till now, didn't it? This chapter in Luke is an interesting study in contrast. There are two stories here, the one we made reference to already, one of a Roman centurion who had great, great faith, so great that Jesus marveled at it. And another story of a woman who appears to have no faith, or at least it's not mentioned. All we know is that she was a part of a funeral procession 
to bury her son. Yet Jesus moves between these, these two extremes. Chuck Swindoll made this statement. These differences, contrasting these two stories, these differences illustrate that Jesus, our Savior, doesn't demand that we fit into a set pattern to receive his help. He doesn't restrain his compassion because we fail to meet our good deed quota or because we don't say the right words or because we forget to follow the correct ritual. Jesus was just there on the scene to meet a need. So what does Jesus do in response to the tragedies of our lives? Those situations or circumstances or events that leave us hopeless and desperate. Well, he provides his presence. He cares. Note what the text says in the 13th verse of of, uh, the portion that we read earlier. When Jesus saw her, speaking of the widow, his heart went out to her and he said, don't cry. Now, if you, if you read this same passage in the New Living Translation, it describes it this way. When he saw her, the widow, his heart overflowed with compassion. Jesus saw this woman and had compassion on her. See, she was already a widow. Now she had lost her only son and her entire means of support. She was now at great social risk and embarrassment because of the type of life she might have to live from this point on. Because there was no one to care for her. So because of that, and Jesus understanding this, he had great compassion for this woman. The Greek word translated compassion here is used in this form only two times in the New Testament. Once in this situation and the other time where you read the story of the Good Samaritan who had compassion on the man who'd been beaten and robbed and left to die. And each time it's used, the result of compassion is action. Something is done. It's not just this feeling of, I'm sorry for you, oh, that's too bad, my goodness, what a horrible situation this is, but it, it implies involvement, it implies action, it implies doing something. Folks, we really don't have compassion for situations unless we're willing and get involved in doing something to meet the need. So Jesus then does something totally unexpected. He goes over and he touches the casket, the funeral buyer, literally stopping the procession at this point. For that's what the scripture tells us. When Jesus went over and touched the casket, the funeral procession stopped. According to the law and rabbinical tradition, touching this buyer or casket would have made Jesus unclean. But Jesus was moved with compassion at the condition of this mother. And he's letting the procession know that a word greater than Moses is now here. So he extended his heart to this woman. Isn't it great to know that we have a God who knows and understands what we are experiencing? Boy, some of us need to realize that right now, don't we? Jesus is not just sitting somewhere up there in heaven watching the action down here on earth. 
We have a God whose heart is touched by what we're experiencing and going through. So Jesus demonstrated divine compassion. He was truly concerned about the plight of an obscure widow and her son. And he's concerned about your plight and my plight as well. Whatever it is that we might be facing. He is still moved by compassion. And folks, it is never too late when Jesus is involved. During the Thirty Years' War in the 17th century, German pastor Paul Gerhardt and his family were forced to flee from their homes. One night, as they stayed in a small village inn, homeless and afraid, his wife broke down and cried openly in despair. To comfort her, Gerhardt reminded her of a scripture of scripture promises about God's provision and keeping. Then, going out to the garden to be alone, he himself broke down and wept. He felt he had come to his darkest hour. Soon afterward, Gerhardt felt the burden lifted and sensed anew God's presence. Taking his pen, he wrote a hymn that has brought comfort to many. And here's how it goes. Give to the, to the winds thy fears. Hope and be not dismayed. God hears thy sighs and counts thy tears. God shall lift up thy head. Through waves and clouds and storms he gently clears the way. Wait thou his time, so shall the night soon end in joyous day. You know, in It is often in our darkest times that God makes His presence known most clearly. He uses our sufferings and troubles to show us that He is our only source of strength and provision. And when we see this truth, like Pastor Gerhardt did, we receive new hope. There's a a song that I love and and I go to it um, in times when I'm facing difficulty or experiencing those desperate, despairing circumstances. And that song is, Be Still My Soul. And I want to share some of the verses of that song with you today. It goes like this, Be still my soul, the Lord is on thy side. Bear patiently the cross of grief or pain. Leave to thy God to order and provide. In every change, He faithful will remain. Be still, my soul, thy best, thy heavenly friend, through thorny ways, leads to a joyful end. Be still, my soul, thy God doth undertake to guide the future as He has the past. Thy hope, thy confidence, let nothing shake. All now mysterious shall be bright at last. He shall, someday will know. That's what he's saying. All now mysterious shall be bright at last. God will reveal what he was up to in these difficult times in our lives. Be still, my soul. The waves and winds still know his voice who ruled them while he dwelt below. Be still, my soul, when dearest friends depart. And all is darkened in the veil of tears. Then shalt thou better know his love, his heart, who comes to soothe 
thy sorrow and thy fears. Exactly what Jesus was doing at this point on this day. Be still, my soul. Thy Jesus can repay from his own fullness all he takes away. Jesus is there. Jesus is here now. And he cares. He has compassion for what we're going through. So what does Jesus do in response to the tragedies we face? He displays his power. He is able. He extended his hand to this son who was being carried out dead to be buried. Jesus stopped this funeral procession. Folks, that's why Jesus came. Think about it. He came to defeat death. And so he speaks to the mother, don't cry. He speaks to those carrying the body. And he speaks to the dead. (laughs) Thank God he speaks to the dead. Why is that such good news? It should be good news for all of us. Because the Scripture tells us that we were dead in our sins and trespasses. But Jesus spoke to us. And He still does. He still does. And so He said, Young man, I say to you, get up. And He did get up. And Jesus gave him back to His mother. Think of all the ways that Jesus displayed His power during His ministry. Gail, you shared a number of those with us this morning as you made reference back to the book of Matthew. He was able to heal the lame. He was able to heal the blind and deaf. He was able to cast out demons. He was able to calm storms. He was able to feed thousands of hungry people with a boy's lunch. And now He proves He is able to raise the dead. (laughs) Thank you. If Jesus did that, He can handle any tragic, impossible, hopeless situation you are facing. Jesus has power. Jesus is able. And when Jesus responds to the tragedies of our lives, He gives us hope. And when He does that, as in the story... He receives our praise because He is worthy. He receives our praise because He is worthy. The the dead young man, it says, sat up and he spoke. Do you ever try to imagine sometimes what's... You know, the Bible doesn't tell us everything, so we kind of think, I wonder what he said. Maybe he said, Mom, why are you crying? Maybe he said... What's all the commotion about? Maybe he said, how did I get here? Maybe he said, tell these guys to put me down. Maybe he said, wow, I just had the strangest dream. (laughs) But I think maybe what he did was express words of thanks and praise. Those who were watching were certainly impressed, weren't they? It says they were filled with awe and praised God. Shouldn't that be our response when Jesus steps into our situations and does what only Jesus can do? The impossible. Oh, we've all been there. This is impossible. And yet, Jesus did the impossible. 
in our lives. He is worthy of our praise because of who He is and what He does in our lives. And we become acutely aware of His praise and worthiness in those times when we are hopeless, fearful, and in despair, and He comes to deliver, to restore, to heal, and to raise us up. In this story, Jesus raised a widow's son back to life. And folks, just looking forward a couple of weeks, in two weeks we will celebrate the resurrection. Jesus overcoming death and the tomb and being raised to life, never to die again. And we share in the hope of the resurrection. Folks, He is worthy of our praise. So in life's tragic, desperate despairing, difficult, troublesome circumstances, He provides His presence. He cares. He displays His power. He is able. And as He does, and as we see Him at work in our lives, and He raises us up, and as He heals us, and as He restores our hope, He receives our praise because He is worthy. Amen? And pray with me this morning. Father, thank you for this story of Jesus coming on the scene. A scene in which there was despair and mourning, fear, uncertainty, hopelessness. And we don't, we don't know what was going through the minds of that great crowd that was carrying that widow's young son to be married, to be buried. But we do know this, Jesus was on the scene. He was not there by accident. Father, He saw what You were doing. He showed up at just the right time. He touched that, that casket. He raised that boy to life. He restored hope, a future, gave certainty to a woman who had been in despair. And Jesus, we thank You today that You can do that very same thing in our lives with whatever it is that we may be facing. The grief of loss. The uncertainty of the future. The wondering about what's going to happen if this doesn't turn out the way I think it should. Oh Jesus, may we today call upon You who can give hope in life's darkest hour and do the impossible or at least what seems for us impossible, because we know that all things are possible with you. And so today, Jesus, may we invite you in to that circumstance in our lives that we are facing right now, and trust you, as you did in this circumstance, to do only what you can do. And out of the worst, bring good. And out of the despair, bring hope. And for that, we do give you honor and glory and praise. Because you are worthy. And Jesus, we pray these things in your strong name. Amen. Well, thank you for being here today. God bless you all. May you go in his grace and peace. You are dismissed.